Um, in 2010, I was given the honor and the privilege to plant a church in Milneton in the high school, and we led it for about two years, and then we closed it down. Andrew needed me elsewhere, and he needed to refine and sharpen me, but to see the fruit and to see you guys over here again is so exciting. It's like you, uh, uh, Nadine was part of it, and uh, we still have so many relationships with some of the people that were there. Uh, and that, that have grown in God, and it's just so awesome. My wife's not here, Laureen. She's unfortunately ill. She's on her last day of isolation from having COVID. Uh, she unfortunately got it from me. <laughs> but I'm here. So I finished isolation on Thursday, so I'm COVID-free. It's the second time I've had COVID. So all the masks, all the vaccinations didn't work. I still got COVID the second time around, so, so I'm not so sure about this whole deal with masks and vaccines and everything. But that's another story for another day. So yeah, the title of my preach this morning is, Are You In or Are You Out? Are You In or Are You Out? Now, I remember years ago, not so long ago, um, because I come from the fashion industry, I used to watch on DSTV a program called um, 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 Project Runway. Yeah, you love it. Who loves it? You, yeah. So a Project Runway is about these fashion designers that get together. They obviously have ranges of clothing, and they enter this competition to win a million dollars. And then they are tasked with going out and designing a range of clothing that if it's that good and they win, not only will they receive a million dollars, but they will appear in a Vogue magazine, and obviously the careers will just like be turbocharged into stardom and, and they'll become famous and everything. But they had this most gorgeous judge by the name of Heidi Klum. She's a German model. She's absolutely gorgeous. And she used to say they stand in front of them and uh, when they're going to present their ranges or after they presented their ranges and they've judged and they said, just like fashion, you know, one day you're in and one day you're out. One day you're the peacock and the next day, you the feather duster. And I need to ask you, if we look at the first scripture, it's out of Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. It says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Have you lost your life for Jesus and for his kingdom? So I want to honor Ian and Kate, Elder, and his wife, the deacons, and the leaders for putting this all together and coming here faithfully every Sunday and shepherding you guys and walking alongside you guys so faithfully and diligently. Without them, this wouldn't be possible. And we are so grateful that we have people, Ian and Kate, who are double-timing and leading. I know it's not easy because I did it for two years. And you need to have extraordinary grace and amazing capacity from the Lord and so much energy, and I'm so grateful you guys are going on leave. Yeah, that's awesome. People always tell me I should take leave. I don't have to. Yeah. But it also reminds me of a Abram in uh, today's lesson. And today's lesson will be out of Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 to 7, and we'll get there later on. And it's about um, his nephew Lot. And uh, the two of them... Um, became very wealthy. They became very prosperous in many ways. Abram and Lot, they acquired many sheep, goats, 
camels, donkeys, and servants. To such an extent that they were getting in each other's way, and wherever they went, the land and the fields were decimated because of all the grazing and all the people they had to feed and everything. So uh, Abraham eventually said, listen, we can't stay together anymore. And he took him to the top of a hill and he said, okay, you can choose where you want to go. Wherever you go, that's yours. And I'll go whatever's left for me. And so Lot eyed this out and he said, well, there's a green pasture, there's rivers there, there's trees, there's a couple of cities I can go and do my shopping. There's a pick and pay, a Woolies food store. I'm going to go there. And uh, to the left, he saw a desert with no water and everything. He says, this sucker, Abram, he can have that. I'm not going to go there. And he chose to go and set up home or camp near Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? Abram, on the other hand, and we read this um, In Genesis 13, verse 14 to 17, after this happened, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, he said, and this is for you guys, particularly the leaders and for you as well, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So out of an unselfish posture, he said, now you have the best. I'll take what is left. God then promised him. And he said, wherever you set your foot. I mean, if it was me right now, and God said to me, Kim, Wherever you go, because I would walk from here to Stellenbosch, Stellenbosch through the Paul Valley, maybe to uh, Wellington, pick up Melkbos on the way, it's got a nuclear power station, and end up here in Cape Town, the most beautiful city in the world. And I say, thank you, Jesus. I will claim that as mine. Some of you guys might go to the Karoo, because that's what you like. Some of you guys might go elsewhere, but that's what I would do. But you see, that's my selfish nature. I would say, give me the best. But anyway, in Genesis 13, 8 to 10, it says that the land he chose looked like the Garden of Eden itself. That's what Lot chose. It looked like the Garden of Eden. Lush, full of fruit, full of people, enough grazing for all his cattle and everything. The problem was that land that he chose stretched into places which was notorious for sin. They actually angered God so much that God actually came from heaven to earth to actually verify what his angels were telling him. Sodom and Gomorrah is so bad. Genesis 13, 13, it says, the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. But you see, that didn't, didn't bother a lot at all. It doesn't bother us sometimes. Because I'll just move a little bit close to Cape Town 
It doesn't matter that it's known as the gay capital of South Africa. Um, I'll just move a little bit close. I'll just go into a bar and eat the peanuts. You know, I promise I won't get thirsty if I eat the salty peanuts. That's why they're there. So they make you thirsty so you can drink more beers. But you, when you walk out, you smell like a cigarette. You just catch that whiff and your, your clothes stink. You see, we get so close to some, something sometimes that we actually catch what they're doing. And the same thing happened to Lot. He, he didn't want to become part of Sodom, but he did. Eventually, he became a leader in Sodom. Because leaders in those days sat at the gates and they determined who could come in and who could go out. Who could come in and trade and who couldn't come in and trade. And if they needed to sound the alarm for defenses, he would do it. And uh, he made, and we read this in Genesis 19, many small compromises to be accepted. And the one major compromise that he made in terms of sin, um, the two angels came down, obviously looking like men, and he looked at them and he says, you guys are strangers. Why don't you come to my home? I mean, they said, no, no, we are here to fulfill what the Lord has sent us to do. He said, no, no, before you do that, come to my home and have a feast with me. And they're like, okay. So he went out there, and as they walked into his uh, house, next thing was hammering on the door, and all the men of Sodom, all the men were there, the men and the boys were there, and they were hammering on the door. And he said, give us those two strangers. We want to have sex with them. And he says, no, no, these are special guests of mine. I've got to treat my guests with dignity, with honor, and with respect. And he says, I'll tell you what. I've got two daughters probably 14, 16 years old. Why did you take them and have sex with them? Rape them and do what you want to do. See, what he forgot? He forgot about God, the God of Abram at that point in time. He forgot that he had a powerful God that his, that his uncle used to worship, that his, that his uncle used to speak with, that his, uh, that his uncle saw. And he may started making compromise. You see, when we come to something that's full of sin, sometimes we start making compromises. So there are four life-saving lessons that we can learn from this story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The first one is that we need to be aware of progression of sin in our lives. Most Christians don't intend to become like Sodom. We really don't want to become like Sodom or Gomorrah. And uh, just like Lot, he never intended to make Sodom his home. But, you, you know, you get so attracted to the world that we just want to live with one little foot in the world. We want to get close to the world. And we start making excuses like, you know, but everybody's doing it. Everybody's got one. You know, everybody goes there. Charles Spurgeon said this, if you're going to be saved, be 100% saved. If you're going to get saved, be 100% saved. Now, some of us, you know, God says in his word in the book of Revelation, you know, you can either be hot or you can be cold. But if you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out. Now, how many of us are lukewarm at the moment? Now, God says, no, you're either in or you're out. Now, you see, so sometimes that's why these three chairs are here. God wants us to be like this. I'm in. I'm in the kingdom. Solid. But some of us want to walk like this on the edge and say, maybe I can just touch a little bit here. 
wait in a little bit there because I'm in the world. And now God says, now I want you to be 100% in the kingdom. And the most miserable person in the world is a half-committed Christian who is just enough in the world to be miserable in God. And just enough into God that they are miserable in the world. You know, how many times do you look at Christians and they're the most unhappy people and nobody wants to become a Christian and say, if you're a Christian, I'd rather not be one. My son lives in Sheffield in the UK and uh, he's been there for about 12, 14 years. I absolutely love him and his wife and my two grandsons. And um, we often speak to him about God and his, his wife, Rebecca. She's about this far from giving her life to, to Jesus. But my son said, Dad, you know, every day after work at four o'clock, we meet in the pub for drinks. I can't give that up. Because that's being in the world. That's part of their culture. They've got to go to the pub and have a beer or a couple of drinks, whatever they have. And he says, you know, you don't do that. You're living a boring life. But I can tell you this much. I am so happy. I'm so fulfilled. I'm so filled with joy because of Jesus inside of me that I don't need to go to a bar to have a beer to feel happy. But he does. You see, and if you want a foot in the world, your heart is filled with salt. And it's not the salt that adds seasoning, flavor. It's the salt that causes you to dry and become thirsty. Like if you eat too much biltong, like I did yesterday. <laughs> you start feeling dry and lifeless everywhere. And the worst thing to do is to try and settle both opinions, just as, a, as you saw me demonstrate on these three chairs. You're trying to walk along with both feet in both worlds. I walk with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. One foot in the kingdom, one foot in the world. But eventually, both feet are going to be one side. And I'm praying and trusting that none of you put both feet in the world. That you're going to be 100% in these kingdoms. Where do you want to belong? Wherever you want to be, be 100% in that. If you say, I'm going to be in the world, go to the world. We're not going to stop you because Christianity is not about forcing anybody to do anything. It's about you surrendering your, your, your life. It's about you dying to self and giving yourself up to Christ so that Jesus' light can shine in and through you. So that when people see you, they can see there's something remarkably different about you. You know, how many times, if, you know, I remember I was with Calvin Klein, and we used to go overseas uh, once a quarter. And um, the first evening, they used to have uh, snacks and drinks with everybody, and then we all used to go to a fancy restaurant somewhere. And every time they used to get together and have drinks, I used to stand on the outskirts, but still engage the people. And then the next morning, after everybody had a good time and a good party and everything, they would say to me, there's something different about you. Yeah, and we noticed, you know, all the guys were drinking and, you know, having a good time. But you were there. We were like, you're part of us, but you're not. There's something different about you. And that was just, to me, an open door to start speaking about what Jesus has done in my life. Because I am different. I'm not of this world, but I'm part of this world. See, I'm fully committed. I'm 100% committed to the kingdom. Let's read. Matthew chapter 19, verse 17 to 22. And he said to him, this is the rich young ruler that came up to Jesus. He said, what shall I do? Good man. And Jesus responded to him saying, 
Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good, and that is the Father in heaven. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he runs through them now. He said, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the young men arrogantly or pridefully said, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Each one of us have great possessions. And those possessions start to end the heart. What is that that I'm clinging on to? That I can say, I cannot, Kim, as you're standing in front of me now with this message, I cannot give 100% of myself to the kingdom. There's a great treasure inside of me that I've got to hold on to. It belongs to the world. I cannot give that up. And you'll also walk away from him. The second point that I'd like to give to you is that the coming judgment is real. We're all going to be judged one day. For years and years and years, God had warned Sodom and Gomorrah about the coming judgment. And everyone brushed it off as unreal and went back to partying. And so many times, just like in today's times, you know, you go and speak to somebody and you say, listen, you know, this is what God has done in my life. He has changed me remarkably. I used to be an adulterer. I used to be, you know, drink so much. I used to misbehave in my BC days, before Christ days, before I got saved. But this is what God has done to me. And they said, yeah, that's for you now, but maybe for me tomorrow or the next day. Maybe next year I'll, I'll give Jesus some thought. But you don't know when the end's going to come. You don't know if you're going to be hit by a bus. You don't know if the Third World War is going to start because of what Russia is doing in Ukraine. You don't know when your days are over. But what you do know is the day of judgment will come. And you will stand in front of the Almighty God Himself and give an account for your life. And he will say, either well done, my good and faithful servant, you've made it into heaven, or go away from me, you wicked and lazy individual, and you'll spend the rest of eternity in hell. You don't want that. Okay, so I'm not going to preach about turn or burn, but that's just the reality. And God doesn't make empty promises. And so one day, judgment came. And God tells us that he's slow in executing judgment to give people space to repent. Now, Ian mentioned it. And judgment doesn't come because God is absent. He wants every person to come to know Him. He wants every person to be restored to Him. He wants every person to be reconciled to Him. So He's very patient. He was very patient with me. I only got saved when I was 47 years old. And I thank you, Jesus, that he, that he woke me up one day and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because I've never been the same since then. I'm still in the process. Uh, I, can I say, if you had to see, if you put those little glasses on that you can see infrared writing. You know, when you used to go to the discotheques in the days, they had ultraviolet lights. And, and if you wore white, everything stood out. I've got WIP. Can you see it on my forehead? Called Work in Progress. 
So God is still working in me. And Hebrews 9:27 says this, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Now, the interesting thing is, in Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot, his two girls, his two daughters that he wanted to give away for the men to abuse, they were both engaged. They both had fiancés. And the angel said to him, go and get everybody, all your family, your friends and relatives, whatever, and bring them because I need to take you out of this, this place because God is going to destroy it. This is God's wrath. This is God's judgment that has come. And they went to go and fetch the two fiancés. And guess what they said? Nah, we don't believe in this stuff. It's not going to happen. How many times have you heard people that are in the world saying, nah, rubbish, I don't believe in God. Nah, you guys are spooky, weird, happy clappies. By the way, Josh Jenner's aren't called happy clappies, by the way. We are jolly jumpers. <laughs> Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century American theologian, said regarding Jesus' teaching on hell. Listen to this. Imagine yourself cast into a fairy oven, glowing with heat. And imagine that your body was going to have to lie there for a quarter of an hour, 15 minutes, full of fire. Inside and outside. So you can imagine this oven, the length of your body, and it's white hot, fire on the outside, fire on the inside. And you've got to climb in there and submit yourself or submerge yourself in there for 15 minutes. And he says, dealing every fiber of it the whole time, what horror would you feel at the entrance of such a furnace? And how long would that quarter of an hour seem to you? But what if you knew that you must lie there enduring that torment in its fullness for 24 hours? He says, but wouldn't your heart sink if you knew that you must bear that forever in eternity? Oh, that's a frightening picture. So frightening. And the greatest hypocrisy of all time is saying that you believe in heaven and hell and you're not doing everything you can keep. You mentioned it this morning. To keep those people that you know those people that you love and those people that you have befriended from going into heaven to spend eternity with you. It's almost like you're being hypocritical. I've got to get out of jail card. I'm cool. I'm going to make it into heaven. But you, it's all right. You can go where you, you can go play golf in heaven, in hell. The biggest lie ever. There's no golf in hell. And what happened is we've got to witness Sorry, we've got to witness, we've got to speak to our colleagues, our friends, our neighbors about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. And we'll get to that a little bit later. And then we read in Genesis chapter 19 from verse 24 to 26. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, Behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. How many of us? Thank you, Lord. I commit my life to you. I surrender myself to you. And then we start looking back. But if I only could just do that once more. I just want to go back to a bar. I just want to go back to a club. I just want to, just once more. I just want to go back to 
looking at that on the internet that I shouldn't be looking at. I just want to, you know, we're looking back over our shoulders to the pleasures of the world, which so entice our flesh. The third point that I'd like to share with you is that you cannot drift into godliness. You can't drift into godliness. You don't like slide into it. I'm going to be godly. It takes hard work. And living for Jesus in this world will always feel like an uphill battle because you're going against the current. And everything in the world will pull you in the other direction. The world is so enticing. It's got so many wonderful things to offer you. I was in the park yesterday. I took my dog for a walk. And uh, as I was there, there was an old grandfather who brought his three or four-year-old granddaughter. And it's an amazing thing, thing with kids. They never climb up the stairs of a slide. They always climb up a slide to slide down. Hey? And then I watched her, and she battled climbing up. It was like an uphill battle. And, you know, she takes two steps, slide down. She takes three steps, and slide down but until she gets to the top. And she gets to the top with such relief, and then she slides down. And then she starts the process. And it's exactly the same with us in the kingdom. We've got to spend time in God's word. We've got to make time uh, for God. We've got to read God's word. We've got to get on our knees and pray to God. We've got to think about God. We've got to speak about God all the time, despite the lures and the attractions of the world trying to pull us back and back and back all the time. To go with Jesus... You have to swim against the current, and that takes a lot of effort. And in Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14, Jesus said this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, by it, are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. It's sobering that. Which road have you chosen? Are you going to choose that little narrow load, road, load, road, which is narrow, that you're swimming against the tide, against the current, and everything is pulling you back and saying, don't do it, don't do it? Or are you going to take the easy road and just glide along there and say, yeah, I can get away with this, I can get away with that. Oh, I don't have to squeeze through the gates at the end. I'll just walk through it, you know? If you're drifting, you're not actively seeking to know God and His Word. It's not that you reject the Bible. It's just that you give your time to Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Netflix, and binging on games or whatever else keeps you interested. You spend all your time spending your time looking at yourself. And the average person today spends six hours a day looking at their phone. Six hours a day looking at their phone. Just imagine that every time you picked up your phone to check if you had a message, you picked it up and there's a verse from Jesus or a message from Jesus or your Bible scripture pops up there. Wouldn't that be great? I've got a little photo I'd like to share with you quickly. so good. When you get to heaven, we're going to like, oh, I wonder if that person's around. I haven't yet received the WhatsApp yet. Where's Ian? He hasn't sent the juicy roster out. 
he'll never drift into spiritual maturity. It takes daily focus. It takes effort. To become what no one else is becoming, you have to do what no one is doing. Listen to what Jude in the New Living Testament, chapter 1, verse 17, 23 says. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ told you. That in the last times there would be scoffers. I need plenty of those around. Are oh, you Christians all happy clappies? You weird, you know, you like space kids, space cadets, whatever. <laughs> Whose purpose in life is to enjoy themselves in every evil way imaginable. Don't you see a lot of that at the moment? Now they are here, and they are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They live by natural instinct because they do not have God's Spirit living in them. Now he's talking to Christians. They are amongst us. But you, dear friends, must continue to build your lives on the foundation of your holy faith and continue to pray as you are directed by the Holy Spirit. Live in such a way that God's love can bless you as you wait for the eternal life that our Lord Jesus Christ in His mercy is going to give you. Show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. There are still others to whom you need to show mercy, but be careful that you are not contaminated by their sins. You see, we've been called to rescue those people, not to judge them. We need to pull them out of the place of where they find themselves. Not coming to church, not spending time in God's Word, falling into sin. We need to grab them, and I'll illustrate that in a moment, what happened. I love what um, C.S. Lewis said in the Screwtape Letters. He says, the safest road to hell is a gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So how does it happen? Often it happens when, it's, when you start to compromise on the small things. Maybe you take a little tax deduction here, you take a pencil out of the office or ream of paper at home, you start making the small compromises, just as life started making small compromises when he got close to Sodom. And the interesting thing is, when the angels knew that it was time to leave, Give me your hand. They grabbed Lot and they literally, oh, you're right. You are okay. <laughs> He's now in heaven. <laughs> he, they, he grabbed him by the, the they, he, they grabbed Lot by the arm and they dragged him out there. You see, because he's reluctant. And many of us are reluctant to be led by the Spirit out of the place of where we find ourselves at the moment. But the angels, and we need to have the same attitude. I'm going to rip that guy off, you know, to get him back into the kingdom. Because every soul is worth it. Every soul is worth it. The final point that I'd like to share with you is that we need to become the Abrams in the lots in your life. You need to become the Abrams in the lots life. So in Genesis 19:16, the demonstration which I just gave you, it says, the angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. Why did the God have the angels do this for Lot? Let's look at verse 19, verse 29. Genesis 19, 29. So it was 
that, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst to over the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which, in which Lot had lived. God didn't save Lot because of Lot. He didn't save Lot because it was Lot. He knew that he was Abraham's nephew, but he didn't save him because of Lot. He saved him because Abraham was praying for him. He saved him because Abraham was praying for him. Who are you praying for? I reckon that somebody prayed for me. I reckon my mom said, prayed for me for 47 years. Even though I gave her a hard time and she hardly saw eyes, eye to eye, I was arrogant and nauseating and just a terrible son. But she prayed diligently for me. And then at the age of 47, I eventually committed my life to the Lord. Yes, thank you, Mom. Yeah, I actually prayed that this morning as well. Thank my mom and my dad. And now I'm praying for my three kids who don't know Jesus Christ. Samantha, my eldest daughter, who lives in the links over here, Sunset Links. My middle-aged daughter, Tamsin, she lives around the corner from us. My eldest daughter turns 50 this year. The other one, Tamsin, she's 48, and my son is 46. He's the one that lives in Sheffield. I pray for them every day. Lord, open the eyes of their heart that they may see you. Lord, just give them a revelation. Lord, bring them into your kingdom that they can love you and serve you all the days of their lives. The good news is I've got five grandchildren and they're all saved. They all love Jesus. Because the grandchildren will listen to their memo and their pops before they listen to their parents. <laughs> you see, Lot didn't deserve to be rescued, but somewhere there was a man praying for him. So I'm asking you guys, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? You know, Ian said, you know, pray and see who God lays in your heart to bring for the Easter service because Easter is the best weekend for people to get saved. In fact, it is notoriously known that the most salvations that we get in a single year takes place over the Easter weekend because suddenly everybody says, I know that Jesus died and I need to go to church. And they come to church and then they go home and they celebrate the Easter bunny and Easter eggs. We don't want to go down that road. <laughs> but they come to church and we throw out the net and many people are convicted by the Lord and they get saved. And the second most popular time that we get people saved is Christmas. This is when people feel that they need to go to church and we need to take advantage of that. You know, in terms of spreading the gospel, the good news. But we also need to pray to God and say, God, who are you impressing on my heart? Oh God, I've got this neighbor who's a miserable so-and-so. But he needs you. He needs you. I don't care what he does. I don't care that he throws the dog poo over the wall every day. But he needs you, Lord. I don't know if you guys have got neighbors like that. Really, eh? And she's not, uh, Lorraine, where's Lorraine? She's not here, eh? She got COVID. She's come back from overseas, eh? Yeah. So I loved Abram's prayer. You know, it was like a negotiation. Somebody said, you know, you can't negotiate with God. It was a, it, I think you did in your little testimony. It was amazing, by the way. God, if there are 50 people that are righteous in Sodom, would you save them? 
And God said, if there are 50 people, righteous people, I will save them. But God, what if there are 40? If there are 40 righteous people, I'll save them. God, just hang on. If there are 30 people, righteous people, will you save them? Of course, if there are 30 righteous people, I'll save them. God, excuse me for being so arrogant and so bold and asking you these things. But if there were 20 people that were righteous, will you save them? God said, yes, if there are 20 people, righteous people, I'll save them. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm your humble servant. I don't know why I keep on asking this, but I'm thinking of lots in the back of my mind. Lord, if there's just 10 people, righteous people, will you save them? He says, yes, if there's 10 righteous people, I will save them. And guess what? Lot, his wife and two daughters, and their two future son-in-laws amounted to six people, I think. Eight. 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 <laughs> Maths quickly. See, you and I, need not look further than the one. All you and I need to do is to go to Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, I'm going to pray for Ian. I'm going to pray, Lord, that he meets you and encounters you in a significant way, that he commits his life to you. Lord, that he experiences your salvation, that he becomes a son in your kingdom, that he will serve you passionately and zealously for the rest of his life. Lord, Jesus, you died on the cross for him. I lift him up, Ian, to you right now in prayer. Lord, let him be saved. Let his eyes be open. Let him come to know you, Lord. Let him come to serve you, Lord, as I serve you. There is only one who is righteous. He is so altogether perfect and lovely that God says, when we pray in his name, we say, God, hears our prayers. Now, do you think that if you're praying, I'm praying for Nadine. Oh, God, I'm praying for Nadine. Oh, no, not that one. No, please don't pray for Nadine. I mean, she's beyond saving. Yeah. Please stop praying about Nadine. She's, you know, beyond saving. I made a mistake when I made her. Now, God says, Whoever you lift up in my name, you're praying into God's will when you're lifting that person's name up. He is going to listen to it. But you also need to be persistent in your prayer, like that persistent widow that prayed and prayed and or, or nagged the king, nagged the king, nagged the king. She was like a dripping tap. I'll be naughty until what I told the guys yesterday in the men's meeting for all the married men over here. All our women have a favorite wine. And you can look around and say, I wonder what my wife's favorite wine is. Just like, <laughs> when you're going to mow the lawn, when you're going to paint the house. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Eh? <laughs> See, guys, we need to start praying for our friends. We need to pray for our siblings. We need to pray for our parents. We need to start praying for our colleagues. Whoever it is. That God impresses not. Whoever that you believe that you can, even if they hate you, you've got to pray for them. And Jesus says, if somebody strikes you on the left cheek, turn your right one. Somebody asks you to, you know, for your coat, give them all your clothes. 
Love your enemies as you love yourself. And Jesus does this for you all the time. He prays for you daily. He sits next to our Father in heaven on his throne. And he intercedes for you and I every day. Just imagine if Jesus wasn't interceding for you right now. You could be drifting on the easy road. But he's holding you there. Lord, I know. Ian could stumble today, but I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to put my angels of protection around him so he doesn't. It's a wonderful story as I, as I end. The, this pastor, he had two very good friends who were also pastors. And um, he prayed for them regularly, and then one day, both these pastors died. And uh, he went to the Lord and said, Lord, but these are godly men. They're still fairly young, and they were doing a great service for you. I mean, how could you take these two guys? I mean, the flock is hurt, and you know, it's going to cause people to scatter. And God said, um, well, let me answer you. The first guy, he was addicted to pornography. But he came clean for a week. But I knew he was going to fall again. But before he fell, whilst he was still righteous, I brought him home to be with me. And he said, the second guy, got nothing to do with you. It's a true story. So we need to be honorable in there. I want to ask you guys right now, are you in or are you out? Are you going to be 100% committed as a Christian in his kingdom? Or are you going to straddle one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world? Or are you going to just step right into the world at the moment? So I want to ask you to be bold. You can close your eyes and stand. Well, don't stand yet. I'm going to ask you, if you want to be 100% committed to the kingdom, I'm going to ask you to stand up so I can pray for you. Say, so Lord, I'm in. I'm 100% in. I'm going to stand and make a public declaration with my eyes closed. I'm going to raise my hands and say, yes, Lord. Today is the day that I'm going to make. And you'll mark this day in history in your book of life. That this is the day. And Kim brought a message that I said to you, Lord, Lord, from, from today. Nothing's going to cause me to look over my shoulder. Nothing's going to cause me to look back. Nothing's going to cause me to have a little bit of salt in my life. Lord, today is the day that I want, marked in your book, is the day that I said to you, Lord, I'm making a 100% commitment to serving you. So, Lord, I pray for every single individual that is standing here, arms raised, or just making a statement by standing. Lord, that you will bless them. Lord, that you will guide them. Lord, that you will be with them. Your word says, Lord, that you'll never leave them, you'll never forsake them. I pray, Lord, for their richest blessing of health, protection, and fruitfulness in your name. Lord, let them walk into their calling. Let them be filled with a spirit of courage and boldness, Lord. Let them, Lord, pray diligently for the lost, the lonely, and the brokenhearted. I pray, Lord, that this stance, that this statement that they are making will bring about many, many, many salvations. We want to see the fruit of this, Lord. 
your word, Lord, will never return void. So as we go out from this place now, Lord, we're going to be committed to the people that we speak to, strangers in the supermarkets or in the convenience stores, the cafes, whatever you want to call them. Lord, to shine your name, to speak about you through our testimonies. We want to spend time committed to you, praying to you regularly, spending time in the word which will nourish us and equip us and arm us against the fiery arrows and darts of Satan who's always against us, not wanting us to go from 45 congregations to 80 congregations as Ian spoke about early on. No, Lord, we want to be a group of people that are fearless and bold and courageous. We want to take your kingdom violently, Lord. Lord, we acknowledge that we cannot do this in our own strength, and we can only do it with you and through you and by your Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.